Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Lou Branscombe, a great community operations, technology, moderation, and management expert, a creator of the Communisaurus, an avid hiker and parks visitor who really changed my life, saying once that you don't have to finish every book you start. So, hello, Lou. Hi, Yuri. Excited to be here. Thanks for asking me along. Finally, finally, as I told you, every conversation I get with you before made me want to know more about you. And here we are. So the first question, how does it feel to know that your stuff, which was on a voyage from LA to the UK, might be better traveled than you? <laughs> oh, wow. Um yeah it's quite strange uh, I posted that and thought you know actually probably it went on a massive voyage before I even bought it and and so I'm talking about the voyage that I know it went on but you know that it, it's well traveled probably even before it got to me but it's kind of weird having that separation of things that represent your life and things you've picked up going on this completely different journey that you're not doing um, and it was just fascinating to watch it and exciting to get it back. I saw this um, animational movie about the life of animals so when uh, people leave their houses how do they interact I wonder if there is a secret life of stuff. So... <laughs> Well, I can tell it. you, having opened almost all of the 44 boxes that arrived, um, that they did not do anything surprising while they were in those boxes. Nothing came out. Very few things came out in a different format to how they went in. So I don't think they did anything secret, although I would love that if they were in the container, like putting on a theatrical play or just messing around. But unfortunately not. <laughs> Do you like fantasizing? Um, I do actually. I I was thinking about like my life as a child and how, you know, I lived in a tiny little village where I think there were maybe only like 300 people in the village. Um, and so you kind of had to make your own fun and be creative. And I was fortunate to have a beach and the sea and the rocks and then hills that I could go into. So different parts of the village became different um, zones. And um, think of, I can't think of a better word for that, um, where certain kind of like fantastical events happened. Um, I don't know if that's different to every child's life, um, but that certainly was my childhood, was creating these different worlds around my village. I feel like currently children do not have so much imagination, at least I've seen <laughs> on my kid, and he was like, his imagination in, on the tablet, you know, and it's... Uh -huh. Weird. Did you have uh, partners in crime? Um, yeah, there was a couple of um, friends when I was younger who kind of bought into this. Um, generally, I was the person creating the world and they were kind of acting within it. One of our favorite ones to play, which is quite an obscure reference and, and hopefully this is not lost on many people, is the TV show The A-Team. Mm. Do you remember The A-Team? They did a movie with Liam Neeson some years later. Um, and we loved the A-team. So we went to our local harbor and we basically like set up children's version of booby traps to catch baddies. And then we would hide out in the rocks and like we would all play a part from the A-team. 
Um, and we just loved it. And we played it over and over again. And I don't know why that was so fascinating to us, but I don't know. It just felt very different from being in a tiny little village in the north of Scotland. So ATM was one of your, let's say, motivations. How how did you decide what another world to create? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Like one of the other ones we had at the other end of the village was a kind of like quite remote rocky area of the beach um that wasn't well visited it wasn't like the main beach where people went for you know picnics and stuff um and all the rock formations were really interesting you know how like the sea carves out these amazing um, structures and so in there was a rock that looked like a seat so it looked like a throne mm. so we basically created like this idea of this um kind of sea castle kind of palace and then we would act out roles of like kings and queens and people who lived in this like rocky water paradise um and it's really bizarre to think about that you know think about how vividly i remember playing those games in this like sea world that we had created because we thought one of the rocks looked like a throne and it sounds very interesting you know i i would read a book like that about <laughs> adventures of uh sea castle and creatures inside it and mm. yeah have you have you ever thought about writing a book um i have thought about writing a book but not about um fantasy worlds um i'm massively into crime fiction um as as my mom likes to say i love a good murder um <laughs> in any tv show that she's watching so she obviously passed that on to me because i enjoy reading Um, lots of murder mysteries and crime stuff. So the wheels are kind of turning in my head about what would be my version of a crime novel. Um, and I've got some ideas from things I've picked up. The thing that that kind of I always try and focus on when thinking about it is what are the names of the characters going to be? Like, I feel like I need to know the name of the character before I can go any further. And so I see names wherever I go and I'm like, oh, that's such a good name for a character. And so I kind of like put it away and hope that, you know, when I get to a point of writing a book, that name will will make sense for that character. How many names do you already have in your collection? Um, I don't think I have like a list per se and a number. I think I just... I'm kind of like cementing the idea in my head of the types of names because, you know, all good detectives or investigators have amazing names like um, J.K. Rowling's book about Cormorant Strike. Like Cormorant Strike, how do you come up with a name like that? Because a cormorant is a bird and a cormorant strike would be birds attacking you. But it's such a fantastical name. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I know where my bar is and I just have to figure out, I'll know when I know. So I, I don't think I can even give a number on the, the names that I've considered. Yeah. So if you are ready, just tell me. I'll definitely read this book. <laughs> so I'm waiting for it at least. Okay. First, first person here. Yes. Here's my hand. <laughs> Thank you. You shared that you were coming to a new home after being six months on the road. Mm -hmm. So what was your first emotion when you entered your new house? Um, oh, that's a good question. 
My first emotion was, I can't believe this is where I'm going to live. Um, this doesn't feel like my home. It's just a big empty space with none of my stuff. And interestingly, I spoke to someone yesterday and they said to me, does it feel like home yet? Um, and I talk a lot, you know, and have talked a lot with people over the years about the concept of home because I've been traveling for eight years. I've been away from the UK for eight years. So it, it definitely has been present for that time. Um, and for me, home isn't necessarily about being surrounded by my stuff. Like I've lived in homes where it wasn't my stuff. You know, we were traveling and we stayed in Airbnbs where it was someone else's. Um, but wherever I am, the definition for me of being home is with my partner. Yeah. So wherever we are, whether it's a big empty space or a tiny space or a tent or whatever it is, with our stuff, without our stuff, you know, home is where we are together. Um, and so this space is just an opportunity for us to continue to do that, is to to make a space where we're both comfortable and relaxed and all of our stuff makes us happy. Um, so, yeah, I just look at it with potential. Yeah, yeah, I I can definitely relate to that, you know, but I wonder how, how did you come up with this idea? About the definition of home? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I think on occasions where we've both been away for work or traveling significantly, um, that's kind of taken us, us both away from each other. I just, I realized how much happier I was when he was there and when we were together. Um, and because we've had to put ourselves in a, a kind of a moment of somewhat discomfort by moving um, and trying to reestablish and put down roots again, I realized that, you know, we can do that. But the reason we can do it is because we have each other and we are mm. each other's home and we will figure it out. So that has been... I don't know, just quite a powerful thing for me. I've never been interested in stuff. Like if you talked to me when I was a teenager, I would have said I'm not interested in superficial stuff. I don't like owning things. I don't like having the responsibility of having too much stuff. Um, and so it was kind of liberating this year to, to give up our home and go traveling for three months before relocating and just have the things that we could fit in our car and our car was rammed full of stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't like sparse, but that was it. We were like, this is all that we need to have the adventures and be comfortable with what we have. Um, and that's quite liberating when you don't have the responsibility of everything that you've accumulated in your life. Um, and it actually kind of adjusts your expectation of what home is and what it looks like and, and how much stuff you need to feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. But from, from a little bit another perspective, because for me, this def I also have this definition that the home is where you are and where your loved people are, and sometimes dogs, because I have two dogs. <laughs> yeah. But the funniest thing that I understood that only the moment we had to leave our home when the war in Ukraine started. So yeah. that was... and. Right at this moment, I understood like, okay, as long as people you love are healthy and they're with you and you still have something to wear on, everything else is okay. So yeah, everything else is a bonus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, 
stuff is just tough. Still, you were waiting for those boxes to arrive. <laughs> I was. And since you came before your stuff, what is one favorite things you were waiting for the most to arrive? <laughs> That's so funny you should ask that because I've spent the last three weeks going through stuff. So um, we had all of our stuff delivered from eight years ago. So when we moved to California, we put our stuff in storage thinking it was only going to be there for a short time. Um, so there was some stuff from eight years ago, which I was like, oh, I'd forgotten about this or I got really excited to see it again. And then there was the more recent stuff that we packed three months ago that, you know, I still remembered, but I was excited about receiving. Um, so let me think. For some bizarre reason, eight years ago and prior to eight years ago, we were kind of obsessed with ducks. So we started to buy like ducks in some format or other. And then other people caught on to the fact that we like ducks and they kept giving us duck related things as presents. Now, I don't have a duck. I don't live somewhere where there's a duck pond, but I like ducks. So one of the first things we bought for our house when we were to first moved in together was um, a doorstop because a door kept, you know, um, not staying open. And so this is right next to me, coincidentally, because there's a door here that I don't want to bang into me. And this is the duck. And he Amazing. looks kind of sad because he's kind of got a bit of a weird, like... Yeah, it's a sad duck, exactly. But it's my duck. And I haven't <laughs> seen him for eight years. Wow. And he just sits and he guards the door and he stops it banging into my desk. And, oh. um, you know, that's one of the things that we bought as a couple like maybe 19, 20 years ago. So those kind of moments are, are really special when you suddenly are connected back to not just your stuff, but the moments in time where, you know, you, you did something and it reminds you of all the experiences you had together and the duck is one of those. Do you remember the exact moment when you bought this duck? I do, actually. It's really bizarre. We were in a department store. I don't know why we were there. We were probably shopping for a gift for someone for a wedding or something like that. And from a distance, we could see this stand that had doorstops on it. Um, and there was just this like series of these ducks just sat there looking slightly sad, um, but quite cute at the same time. Like, oh, you know, we've got that door where, you know, it keeps banging shut. We should just get that. And so we bought it. Um, and so when I opened up the box, I think a couple of weeks ago, I opened it up and I was like, it's the duck. We've got the <laughs> duck. Um, and it's just, it's silly, you know, as, as a couple in life and everything we've done to get excited about a little brown duck that stops the door from slamming. Yeah, it's a great story. And so thank you very much for sharing <laughs> it. And talking about weddings, what is the first memory from your wedding that comes to your mind right now? Oh, um, well, that's also interesting because I've been looking through our wedding stuff and we've got our wedding album, um, which we've not seen for eight years. We've not opened it yet, but I'm like, I really need to sit down and look at this. First memory from the wedding. It's kind of a like unfortunate memory. Um, so you spend a long time well, some people do spend a long time planning a wedding and getting everything just the way they want it. And so I stepped out of the car to go up the steps to the wedding venue. 
and the photographer said oh just stop there so we can take a picture of you so we stopped with my bridesmaids and then what I didn't know was that my bridesmaid was stood on my dress so the back of my dress she was stood on so I went to move and I couldn't move because she was stood on the dress and then she ripped a tiny little hole in the dress before I had even gotten married and before I'd even gone into the venue the dress was ripped now this is like for me kind of quite a big deal probably for most brides quite a big deal um because I am so super focused on things being perfect mm. like we can't have a good time unless everything is perfect and so for me to actually have dealt with that proceeded not had a total meltdown um and actually gone on to have a wonderful day that for me was quite a big moment that you know I could cope with the imperfection of that dress um and not let it ruin my day and that's something which I you know every day every week all of the time I'm always thinking about don't let your pursuit of perfectionism ruin this moment because nothing's ever perfect really yeah um, there's only so many things we can control and if we let it ruin our days then you know you're never going to have a good day so um i try to kind of keep that mantra in my head that doesn't need to be perfect in order for you to be happy have you seen an encanto movie well i hadn't actually seen it but because we've been staying with relatives for the past couple of months while we found a new place um they said oh we love encanto have you seen it and i said no i haven't seen it so we sat down and watched it as a family um with their children and it was so good i really enjoyed it and i can't believe it took so long to to watch it so far because when you were talking about uh your dress it reminded me the song when they we don't talk about bruno yeah At the moment <laughs> then uh he, her sister was saying how bruno you know um that damaged their wedding ruined their wedding yes. and Yeah. It was fun that husband was like, what a beautiful day. But anyway, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> so she like uh, remember this, how it was awful. And husband like, what a beautiful day. So I wonder what what your husband thought about like about the dress being ripped a little bit. You know, I don't think he noticed it. <laughs> honestly, I don't think anyone noticed it. I mean, you don't like look that closely at something and go I can see a small hole in it yeah um, exactly and I don't think I thought about it very much after that honestly like weddings are so amazing and and have so much emotion and and th other better things to focus on than, than what's happening yeah. with the dress. and you know people end up spilling glasses of red wine down dresses and you know there's much more obvious things that can happen but I will tell you that after we got married, I made sure that the dress was cleaned because I wanted mm -hmm. to have it boxed and, and kept. And the first thing I did was I took it back to the place where I had bought it from and I asked them to repair the hole because I was like, there's no way that's going in the box, not perfect. Like, <laughs> it's going to get cleaned, it's going to be fixed, and I know it's in the box and it's exactly the way that I can imagine it in my head. I don't know like talking talking about this perfection and imperfection you you make me laugh so hard you know I I have I have I have my cheeks are just you know <laughs> so how many books about imperfection do you have well um 
I just got recommended a book which is called um, The Gifts of, um, what's it called? The Gifts of Imperfection. I don't know where it's gone. Um, be for this very reason, you know, I, I did the, have you done Enneagram? Mm, no, not yet. Okay. So it's like one of these personality tests where it tells you like which of the nine characters you are. Um, and then you can kind of have a little bit of some of the other ones. So you could have like your main one and other ones. So I came out as Enneagram type one, which is the perfectionist. And I was like, well, this explains my entire life. Like, I understand now why I am so overly critical about everything that I do. Not other people, but me. Um, so I had been talking to someone about it and I was saying, oh, you know, it's just, I just feel this burden of trying to make life really, really perfect and, and being disappointed in myself for not making that happen. And they said, you should read this book about mm. how important it is to be imperfect so that others, you know, they can support you. You know, if you're having a bad time or you're struggling with something, you know, that gives them an opportunity to be a strong support for you. Um, it gets it allows them to feel helpful. If you're always modeling this perfect behavior, then people probably don't feel like they have anything to contribute of value to your life because, you know, you've got it made. And mm. none of us are like that. So I just think it's really important to embrace imperfection because I think it allows us to connect better as human beings, to see others, you know, needing something and being able to have that opportunity to provide them with feedback or help or like advice or whatever it is, or just like a, a hug. But if you never show any of your vulnerability, mm. then people don't, they don't get that opportunity. So that's like a real growth area for me this year is just embracing imperfection and not thinking that, you know, lack of perfection in any way changes um, your happiness or people's um, impression of you. So I get it how you feel about yourself being imperfect, but how do you feel about others being imperfect? Well, this is the other bizarre thing is that I love to help other people. I love to, you know, be able to help them be successful. If they're struggling emotionally, they've got something on their mind. Like I, I talk about myself as a sponge. I feel other people's pain and I'm so distracted by other people's pain and happiness that I literally will go out of my way to try and help them and be a comfort to them or offer them some kind of practical or emotional help. So I enjoy helping others who are having imperfect experiences, mm. but for some reason, when I'm having an imperfect experience, I'm like, don't talk to me. I have to fix this. And then I just go away. <laughs> and I fix it. And I don't let other people do the same for me. Um, so that's definitely something which I need to be better at. You know, if you if you enjoy doing it for others, why do you not let others do it for you? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like many community builders are... And many people from the community world are very similar. So they are always here for you. Mm -hmm. But when they face something, they're like, no, 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 I, I can do it. I, I will deal with it on myself, which is, I bet, wrong way, fully wrong way to do it. Because, you know, I, I feel like I understood it with my own experience, mm. because basically, uh, 
I didn't know that there are such amazing people even exists. And uh, I feel like the moment I let somebody help me, it was a really weird feeling. Yeah. Because like, no way, no way you can help me. Like, no, I don't <laughs> want to bother you. You know, like you have a lot of things to do. You have a lot of things on your plate. But then the moment somebody helped me, I was like, oh, it feels really good. You know, yeah. it sounds and 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 the funniest thing is that if you allow somebody to enter your, let's say, your world and help you, you make those people happy. Yeah, because exactly. we if, all want if, to help others. Yeah, and I bet if you are helping somebody, you feel happy about that. I do. Not because, you know, I'm doing it for some, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Like, I, I think people find it difficult and I'm finding it difficult to explain what it is about helping others that is rewarding without it coming across as being, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but like coming across as being like something self-serving. Like I don't do stuff for other people necessarily because I'm primarily thinking about me. I'm thinking about them. I don't want to see them struggle or suffer. Um, I want to alleviate whatever is troubling them um, so that they're okay. Because I actually, more than anything, I just want to feel like our world is harmonious. Like we have such a like, unharmonious world especially right now that yeah. any little thing we can do for our little sphere of influence to make something or someone's life better that's really special I think um you know and that's the only thing I can control I get so affected by all the things that are out of my control that I I kind of have to really what's the word macro focus Hmm. on the things that I can do um, to kind of offset the things that I really would love to see differently and would love to see change, but I have no power or influence to help with that because um, that can feel really um, kind of overwhelming, I think, when you think about just the world in general. Yeah, and it's it's great that you mentioned little things because... Yeah. You know, if if you have this intention to like change the world right away overnight, it's just mm -hmm. impossible. It just gives yeah. more struggles for everyone. But just doing something small, just send a DM to a person you admire, or yeah. just you know reposting somebody's post if they're searching for work, or just randomly calling your friend and like talking about totally random stuff about the weather, yeah. I don't know, about the food, about anything. That's exactly what makes uh, not only your life, but other people's lives better. And yeah, it's, it's that's exactly why I love Atomic Habits. How do you feel about Atomic Habits? Atomic what? Habits. So basically I, it's like small... <laughs> got it, got it. So I, it, will be, it will be another book I will share with you. So just, but the idea behind is to do something very small but constantly mm -hmm. oh, okay so it's 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 like the main idea behind and you know what i've noticed like if you are doing something very small it feels like it makes no sense yeah at this exact moment mm. but over time it makes a lot of sense so and the yeah. hardest part is to start doing the small steps and mm -hmm. to kind of like tell yourself that okay it won't be overnight success, 
it won't be something like I will benefit or any, anyone will benefit right away, but it will be great in the long term. So yeah. just do it right away. And yeah, so. I think you're the master of that. <laughs> I mean, the very fact that you've done this many podcasts and I don't know how many in between two water coolers, you know, at the start, I, I guess my question to you is where did you think that was going to go and how many were you going to get to? Because you have an enormous body of work now behind you um, with like just this ongoing, you know, volume to get through. Like, did, did you think about that when you first started that you would be at this stage? The funny thing that no. And I have like every conversation is the conversation we have with you right now. Like, I'm genuinely curious about you. I want to know about you. And, you know, <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy to having this conversation with this person. And even though like, yeah, you know, world needs number. So even though I have always number of episodes, I have always number of between two water cores and number everywhere because like, that's, that's the way the world works. But basically for me, every conversation, every Friday meeting, everything that I do, like kind of like uh, one by one, it's a new one. Mm -hmm. So even though it's like, I don't know, 70 something conversation today, for me, it's the first conversation because it's the first conversation with you, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's, like that's, that. that's, that's the main focus. And if when I do something, I don't really think about like how many will do in the future or mm -hmm. what will be the ROI of this in general. Mm -hmm. Like For me, it's just having fun. And uh, yeah, just connecting on a human level. And even just, you know, those amazing stories you already shared already make me happy. And if something makes me happy, <laughs> I I will do it, you know, I will do it because there are so many things, as, as you mentioned, there are so many things in the world and the world is crazy right now. Why don't, why don't do some little things that makes us happy? So, yeah. and... I really want to go a little bit for the beginning. So tell me about your parents. Who are they? Um, so, well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a little village in the north of Scotland. Um, my dad was from much further north, um, kind of more into the, the rugged wilderness of Scotland, came from a very small village. Um, and then my mom comes from Glasgow. So how this person from up here met this person down here, you know, is is a miracle in itself. Um, and they just led a, you know, a, a fairly a fairly simple life. We I lived in a village for the first 12 years of my life. Um, and then we moved to a slightly bigger town, not too far away, so I could go to my secondary school. Um, and they were just very focused on, you know, just, I don't know, creating the best circumstances for us. They were both like kind of post Second World War children. They had experienced a lot of the scarcity of post World War um, you know, probably a lot of things they couldn't have as children because it was it was so hard to either get it or, you know, the poverty as people were recovering from war. Um, so they really kind of went out of their way to make sure that not that we were spoiled. I would definitely say would not say we were spoiled, but that we got what we needed to explore the things that we were interested in. Um, and they were very supportive in that. But 
also very focused on education. So both my brother and I were kind of encouraged to work really hard at school, um, which, you know, we did sort of probably under protest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they they really wanted us to do well and have the opportunity to go to university, which neither of them had had that opportunity as children. Um, so, yeah, like a real, you know, they were very serving of, of our futures um, and very important to to kind of how both my brother and I have got to where we are now. While being a children, how did you feel about working hard in school? Um, I'm such a swat. Like my brother, because my brother's older and he's always complaining that I'm such a swat and I'm <laughs> such a goody two shoes. Like I just I just work really, really hard. Um, I guess like the difference between us was that he I think he's more naturally intelligent than I am and much more naturally gifted. I have to work really hard to do some of um, some of those things. The only one thing I loved about school was maths. So I loved maths because I loved the fact that there was an answer to everything. Mm. So there was a question and it might take a while to work out what the answer is, but there's always an answer. I find English a little bit more challenging because there's like a hundred and a hundred million answers to any question that can be asked. It just depends how well you write the answer. So mm. I like the precision of maths and, you know, I did my homework on time. I worked really hard. I read all the books I was supposed to read. I never slacked off. I just, I was just a swap basically. <laughs> Have you ever thought of being a mathematician? Have I thought about being a mathematician? Well, that's interesting. I did think about studying maths at university um, because maths was one of my strongest subjects. But I decided that I didn't want to do maths all the time. Like it was fun, but it just wasn't something that was enough for me. Um, so I ended up doing politics and history because I love history of the world and just everything that happens all around the world and film and television studies. So I had like people in politics I had history, so you can learn from history. And then I had this like completely random other film and television thing where basically you had to watch films, review them, and then, you know, talk about them to the nth level. Um, so it was kind of quite a weird mix at university, but maths has continued to be something that I, I love doing. I love anything to do with spreadsheets and Excel and formulas and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm quite happy to just keep it a small part of my life, not everything. You know, having this subject, as you've told that we are sitting, watching a movie, then you are discussing it, sounds like a very interesting thing to do. And like, <laughs> not that hard. Depends do on you... the movie, ah, I can okay. tell you that. <laughs> what was the weirdest movie you saw? And like, maybe, maybe that you didn't or liked but not that much um the one that stands out is a really bizarre one from the 70s um and we watched a lot of stuff like some recent stuff from the 80s and the 90s um i was a huge fan as a teenager of alfred hitchcock so i knew everything about you know it's kind of suspense movies and i guess that's kind of part of my interest in crime fiction um mm. i loved just the stylization of that 
But in film and television, we didn't do Alfred Hitchcock, which was very disappointing to me. We did this movie from the 70s, which had Gene Hackman, and it was called The Conversationalist. So it was very 70s styled, very of its time. Um, And basically, the concept of the movie is there's this guy who has bugged someone else's apartment. They're following them, they're investigating them. Um, and they're listening to recordings and tapes of stuff. And so it's kind of like from their perspective as this, whatever they're doing. And we had to watch it over and over again and talk about it. And I was just like, it's an okay movie, but I wouldn't watch it twice. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it was about this movie that they thought was so special, but I didn't get it. And I think quite quickly in my first year of doing it, I thought, this is not for me. Like, I just want to watch Alfred Hitchcock movies and recent movies and talk about those. Um, I don't want to watch weird 70s avant-garde stuff. It's just not me. Um, so I'm guessing quite mainstream as it turns out. <laughs> I can imagine. I can, I can imagine as a teacher of, of this class, like some person like talking about this movie, like with a glass of wine and like, you know, smoking mm-hmm. a cigar or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, i totally i totally hear that i wonder what might make you want to add star wars emojis to a slack space <laughs> um i love star wars um so this is another childhood memory in the must be in the early 80s we got our first video recorder Um, so this giant machine with big buttons that you basically had to use your whole hand to push down um, and tapes. So I would record things. And so I recorded Star Wars from the TV. And every Sunday morning I would get up and I would watch Star Wars. And this went on for, I think, maybe about a year until someone accidentally recorded over the end or the start of it or something. And I was devastated. So I've always loved star wars um like I, i don't know most people probably like star wars in some form or another so to discover that there were tons of star wars emojis that were not in that slack channel and we were talking about star wars i was like well that's it we have to have all the star wars things and so i was researching it and i was looking what was available and i still think there's more that can be added but i just ran out of time so i don't know <laughs> star wars is in my soul What is your favorite moment? In Star Wars? Um, ooh. Be my favorite one. I tell you the one actually, can I talk about one that isn't the original? The more recent stuff. So in the recent three, I forget which one it is, the moment where Luke Skywalker comes back and reveals himself. That for me is like a classic moment. You know those moments where you know it's coming and you know like you know it's going to be a big moment, but when it happens, you're just like, oh. like <laughs> just the surprise and delight of it. Um, you know, I, I love those moments where it just it kind of lifts you out of yourself and you have like a full physical reaction to something. Um, and so I love that moment when he is kind of resurrected into the the latest trilogy. And is the moment, look, I'm your father, one of those? <laughs> no, I don't like Darth Vader. I really don't <laughs> like him. 
I don't like I really don't like baddies in in movies. Um I I just want to see the good the good people win um and everyone be happy and the bad people, you know, either be reformed and learn that they're doing bad stuff or, you know, go away somewhere. So I I'm not a fan of Darth Vader at all. Got it. Why is the Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah is the most special place for you? <laughs> well, this is another thing. Um, national parks became my equivalent of that movie moment where you kind of go, oh, you have this like really wonderful mm. um, kind of first view and, and that kind of sticks with you first impression. So every time we've gone to a national park, I'm always looking for which national park gives me that moment um and we went to Bryce Canyon and it's just I think I've been there three times it's still the most incredible thing you walk up so you come in at the top of Bryce Canyon because it's a canyon so like the whole like kind of system of roads is up the top and then you kind of walk down into the canyon from trailheads off the top but in order to approach the canyon you obviously have to park and walk and look down and it's just the most incredible landscape Like it just, there's so many things to look at because of the formation of the rocks there. They're all interesting shapes and colors and you could take a million photos and probably never capture, you know, everything that there is to see there. Um, and every time I've gone back, I just have that moment of like, oh, it's so amazing. Um, so I just, I kind of become a little bit addicted to that feeling of like, you know, where am I going to go next? Or I'm going to go, oh, And so I'm always looking at the travel supplements in the newspaper or on Instagram for like, what is the next place where I'm just going to have that, you know, just take me out of myself and just make me really appreciate what's going on here. You talked about photos. So after you've taken a photo, do you ever go and review it? Um, well, I love the fact that Apple gives you the little featured photograph of the day yeah, um, yeah. or the like featured photograph like some multiples and it reminds me of things um so i've really become quite um kind of obsessed but i enjoy looking at that every single day and reminding myself of all the places um we did go through a period of time where we tried to print out our favorite pictures from the national parks we'd been to and create a montage in a photo frame But then it became a little bit overwhelming because we didn't, I think at one point we maybe had like 15 pictures in the room. I said, there's just too many pictures here. Like we can't do this for every national park we've gone to. Um, and we are currently at 26. I had to write it down and count it earlier. You can't have 26 montage sequences of national parks on your walls. You would just feel like an utter failure every day because you're not out going to these places. So um I I basically have to rely on Apple to remind me of them. I feel like they knew it. They knew that people never revisit photos they've yeah. they've taken and they just edit as a feature and people like, oh my God, it's such mm. amazing. So I think so. It's good. I mean it's like your memories. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about small talks with people? Small talks? What do you mean by small talks? Like chit chat. Yeah, yeah. When you meet somebody and you have to feel the gap, you know, have to feel the silence. 
I, I think I'm a terrible chit chatter. I I only kind of talk about the weather. <laughs> I I don't know what I, I I don't like the phase of time where you chit chat to people before you can get into more interesting conversations, like you know where you feel relaxed and ready to talk about more challenging conversations. I'm ready to get into the challenging conversations now. Like I want to have those things that that make me learn something, that push me further, that challenge me, that you know encourage me to um be more learned in in my mind so i'm just terrible with chit chat i just i don't know i don't like talking about myself which is probably why doing this is is very nerve-wracking for me um <laughs> and i you know i'm interested in people but i'm interested in people you know in the course of a bigger conversation because people as as we talked about you can have bigger conversations, but you can still kind of pepper it with bits of yourself um, or kind of take a break from the heavy conversation and, and talk about something on the side. But I'm just, I'm not good with small talk. And I just, I just, I'm so impatient to get to that next level of conversation. So if you meet somebody, if you meet a new person, <laughs> what is your process of getting to know this person, of getting to this longer conversation? Or do you have that long conversation right away? Um, I don't know how to do it. If someone knows how to do it, can they tell me? Um, <laughs> probably most people who meet me in any context think I'm really kind of cold and closed and kind of keep things back. I mean, I would call it British reserve. You know, British people are well known for being quite reserved. Um, and I've had people say that, like, it takes a really long time to get to know you. And I'm like, well... You know, I just, I, I, I don't know how to do it. I, I'm just, I'm no good at it. So I'll talk mm -hmm. to them probably about the weather because it's the easiest thing. Um, I might ask them like about exciting things they do nearby so that I can be like, oh, I really want to go and explore that. And I really want to go and see that. And um, so we'll probably talk about like local stuff, activities, best walks, best pubs, whatever it is. Um, and that's kind of it really and if that doesn't really click then it's just the long slog of going through how are you today the weather's not very good today and <laughs> no we're like bye we're like, I just feel really disappointed we didn't have a more meaningful conversation I can't imagine like how are you today yeah the weather good but what do you think about <laughs> <laughs> I should do that I should come with like a little um, cup of like various topics written down on cards and say, okay, we're going to do chit chat for one minute and then you're going to pick a card from here and we're going to talk about that for 10 minutes. <laughs> and they'll just be like, oh my God, this person is really weird. Like I, I'm not ready to go beyond chit chat. I can imagine like the first reaction this person is really weird and the second, but I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Because well, I know that if they like it, then they're my kind of person. Yeah, it's it's so fun that you mentioned about this this long journey of getting to know each other. Because I I had a conversation with Francisco Pazzo, and he's from Chile, and he mm -hmm. was, and he just um, went to the UK like eight years ago or something, and he was like, "It's super hard to get to know people mm -hmm. from the UK. Like yeah. they are like we have totally different emotional state and like." so hard to get to be friends with them and like to get to know it's such a long journey but 
I feel like it's all because of lack of this kind of deeper conversations. Mm -hmm. And I know why, because how can you understand if you can trust this person, if you can have this conversation with this person, if this person won't harm you, you know, or use information you share with them against mm -hmm. you, you never know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's the beauty of meeting people in the community. Yes. Because you meet them, you see, you see what they're doing, you see what they're sharing. And then like, maybe it's time to go for two hour conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely the worst lurker in communities. I spend a lot of time figuring out what everyone else is doing and kind of figuring out the vibe before I jump in. Because I need to feel really comfortable that I'm in the right place to have the conversations I want to have, which I don't think is unusual. I think we're all in a certain way, either doing that in our own communities or we're doing it, you know, directly in communities. But as, as I mentioned to you before, I'm a huge procrastinator, like just ridiculous i like we we have this thing in our family now like i think you're overthinking it um <laughs> and we do that a lot and my my husband and i are particularly bad at overthinking everything um just because i don't know we we want to do right by people we want to like not harm anyone with anything we do or say um and especially nowadays you know there's there's so much to be aware of that You know, it would devastate me if I said something and someone said that they were upset with what I had said. So I do hold no. back quite a lot. Um, and I don't know if that's being British or just being incredibly um, concerned about the impact I might have on another person. Yeah, you never know. You never know. You know, it's it's like one of those rhetorical questions. And I, I've went a long journey you know when i'm from ukraine and people from ukraine are rather straightforward mm -hmm. and if we are saying something it doesn't mean that we want to hurt somebody mm -hmm. but it's just like so we feel that way and mm -hmm. most likely it's either an emotion or we really want uh, to help somebody to improve something you know like yeah and when i met folks from the us for me it was like oh my god I can't say everything because otherwise <laughs> people will hate me. So yeah. I totally understand what you're talking yeah. about. But still, you know, what I have like in my mind, the moment you say something inappropriate and the moment this person respond to you and say that, oh, you know what? It was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the beginning of relationships. True of real relationships, because at this moment, this person allows you. So, because, you know, if you say something inappropriate, they, they might not even tell you about this and you mm. will never know. But if they are telling you, I feel like it means that they kind of care a little about you and they want mm. to continue this conversation. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes I feel like sometimes it's good to, you know, do something strange <laughs> to people <laughs> and then see the reaction and then, yeah. Well, that really taps into something I learned just yesterday. So I was told about the um, acronym MGI. Have you heard about MGI? No, not yet. 
most generous interpretation. So mm. when someone does something and you're not 100% sure why they did it or what they meant by it, why don't you give them the most generous interpretation? So if yeah. someone says something to you which feels critical, like you're like, well, why are they saying that to me? They must just think I'm a terrible person. You know, I've done something awful um, and they feel the need to correct me. So like I really need to look at myself and fix it as opposed to the most generous interpretation is, is that they actually care about you doing things well because they're invested in your success as a person. So the reason mm -hmm. they gave you the feedback, even though it was possibly hard for them to give to you because it was a little bit, you know, touchy, they're like, they're doing it because they want you to do well. And yeah. so you reacting badly to it is not going to help you or them. But if you give them that most generous interpretation, you can see the good in their action, even though it feels hard to process to begin with. And I thought, I need more of that. You know, I, I'm definitely guilty of sometimes being a little bit too cynical about other people's intentions. Um, and I need more MGI in my life. By the way, talking about MGI, if somebody gives you a feedback Nah, let's say you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean for you if it's a close person saying this feedback or some random person saying this feedback. How do you feel about close person saying and the random people saying this feedback? Um, I, I much more appreciate it from people who know me and who understand how I operate and understand the level of attention and detail I put in to everything I've done. So I can kind of cope with it because I, I think they know, you know, I've already invested 99.9% .9 in this. So you coming along and finding that 0.1% point, whatever it is, um, that makes me like feel like I've done something wrong. Mm. When it's from other random people, I'm a little, I find it a little bit easier to shrug it off um and be kind of like well they don't really know me like they like they're not um it their their opinion is not important to me in this moment because they're kind of a bit more removed like it may resonate it may not resonate but because they don't know me I'm I'm gonna take it with a pinch of salt um and that's kind of helped me a little bit when I've had interactions where someone says something and and you feel like they they've said it in a way where they didn't understand the situation to begin with and you can feel yourself getting angry at this complete random person yeah but um being able to be like well hold on a second is it really that important to you to respond to this piece of feedback you know when this person isn't an important person in your life and isn't close to you um and so I, I think that kind of helps me to just not respond to all criticism in the same way. You know, the fun thing that I'm always saying to my wife that I don't really care what others will say, those yeah. people who I don't know, but I really care what you will say. So if you want to give me a feedback, please think about the words you use yes. because your words will and hurt me the most. Can Somebody can... Yeah, exactly, you know, because somebody can use the worst words ever and I will don't care about them. But yeah. you can use like normal words. Oh no, you you really think about you really think that way about me. So Yeah. Yeah. Words are tough. 
I think that's, you know, what we were talking about. Procrastination for me is about picking the right words um, and finding the right words that that can sum up what I'm trying to say and not be taken in the wrong way. Um, so words are really important to me in all aspects of my life to choose them carefully. And there are some moments where I get asked a question and I react on the spot and I don't have the right words. And so weeks, months after, I'll be like, why did I use that word? Why did I say it that way? Um, and I will go over it in my head, like trying to figure out why I wasn't better at choosing the right words. Um, so in a way, sometimes human interaction can be both a blessing and a curse for me because <laughs> it leaves me with some stuff to analyze afterwards and figure out whether or not I chose the right word in the right moment. Yeah. It's it's relationships with people. But I wonder, what are your relationships with chocolate? <laughs> well, I feel like I've had a relationship with chocolate forever. Um, probably like most children, you know, chocolate is such a treat. Um, but more lately, I have been taking that to a different level. Um, so I had some downtime from work, like 2017, I think it was. So I did a chocolate tasting course. Um, which was a virtual one. So they basically kind of taught it in a virtual education space. And then you kind of came together once a week. And then you also kind of wrote some stuff that you submitted. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you've not done, if you like chocolate and you've not done a chocolate tasting course, you should do it because I bought so many bars of chocolate because they said you need to buy chocolate from everywhere because you need to buy it from different regions of the world so that you get the true different experience of like the tasting notes and understanding why some taste more like coffee and some are more fruity. Oh. So I did that. And that was a fantastic thing just to eat chocolate, talk about chocolate, write about chocolate. And then after that, I just became obsessed with dark chocolate. So just buying bars of dark chocolate and experiencing, you know, kind of not just the chocolate, but the packaging um, so you might have seen, I, I for a while, I became obsessed with taking pictures of the the outer bit of the chocolate or even the designs that they um, laid into the bars because it's just such a work of art. And it goes, you know, as quickly as you can eat it, it's gone. So I, yeah. I wanted to capture that um, because I'm also a budding chocolatier and I like to make my own chocolates on, on the holidays. So I like to get ideas about how to present them and how to put flavors together um, and you know at some point maybe in the future I will have my own chocolate business who knows it sounds my way so, you like chocolate? yeah but I I like really good chocolate mm. but I feel like I feel like after you mentioned this tasting course I feel like I have no idea about what good chocolate <laughs> is Good chocolate is whatever you like. That's good. Yeah, chocolate. but but also you know, it's it's really it's really easy to understand when you are buying, I don't know, some craft made chocolate, mm -hmm. and when you are buying like this chocolate from like huge corporation. Yeah, it's like food and not food. You know, it's it's totally different. Ah, you know it. You, you definitely okay. know it. So I don't have to explain it to you. But you know, one of the best, sorry, I was just going to say to help with your big corporation versus small batch, the best piece of advice I got about choosing chocolate was 
the less ingredients it has, the better the chocolate is. So if you find a chocolate with two or three ingredients, it's going to be really good chocolate. If it's got a whole like list mm. of 20 different ingredients, taking up the whole of the back of the packet, it's not going to be as good. And that's really helped me. You know, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this looks nice. And I turn it over and I look to see how many ingredients there are. And that can be enough just to make me decide to buy it or not. It's a great tip. I will definitely try it. Right after we finish, I go to a shop and I will try it. <laughs> Because, you know, I don't know why, but right after this, I really feel like I need a chocolate bar. So <laughs> thank you very much for making me one of this chocolate bar. <laughs> Now, I'm going to say here, if I hadn't and we hadn't talked about chocolate, would that have changed or would you still have wanted a chocolate bar regardless of whether we talked about chocolate? Like, no, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like, you know, talking about chocolate, it makes you want to have one. If you really like it, if you really like yeah, it. Yeah. So, so that, that's why that's why I'll be your customer for sure. So, <laughs> okay, so on our list, so the book mm -hmm. and the chocolate business. Got it. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Lou, I really wish to have the sky as a limit, but time is a limit to our conversation. So let's jump to the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Not really, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> Hot chocolate or coffee? Hot chocolate. Beach or mountains? Mountains. What are your favorite color and song? Favorite color and what was that? Song. 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 Uh, favorite color is kind of aqua, teal. And favorite song is uh, With or Without You by U2. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? Ooh. The power of music. What do you mean by saying the power of music? <laughs> Bringing music to everyone to make them happy. Wow. 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 Who do you learn from in the community world? Name just one person. Who do I learn from? Um, obviously, apart from yourself. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I would say probably the person who I learn the most from is, um, I think, whose stuff have I been reading lately that I've really enjoyed? You know, I'm going to say Madeline Milne because she writes the most amazing newsletters Her style is just amazing. And she just nails the sentiment of what she's trying to talk about. Um, and I was just reading one this morning. And I was like, she's such a good writer. So I'm going to say Madeline. Got it. Name two people who I should definitely reach out and invite to this conversation. Um, have you spoken to Molly Arantz? Not yet. Okay, so Molly. Um, and then who else? done max haven't you max pete max pete yes but it counts it counts definitely counts um michelle goodall got it didn't have will do is there one question that i definitely should have asked you but didn't hmm. you didn't ask me about playing the piano 
it was on my long, long <laughs> list. So initial question was, how do you feel while playing piano? I I love playing the piano. It's just such a sense of taking you away from everything in your day. It's difficult to play the piano if you're full of emotion. And sometimes that emotion can kind of affect how you play, sometimes in a good and a bad way. So it's really good if you can kind of like just calm and center and focus on playing. And I just, I love playing the same piece every day and hearing it come out slightly different depending on what's going on with me. Um, and some days it's beautiful. And some days I think I'm the worst piano player in the world, but I just, I love the challenge every day to be the best that I can be when I sit down to play. What is it that you play? Uh, in terms of music? Yeah, what, what, what is your piece that you play over and over again? Um, I play a lot of classical music and I became quite obsessed with uh, River, River Runs In You. I think it's River Runs In You. Um, and I forget what the name of the composer. But then I've also become very obsessed with Ayn Audi music. Um, so that's been quite a challenge because they're quite technical. And then on the complete opposite side, I play a lot of Disney tunes because they make me very happy. And they're very well composed. Um, quite a lot of them are by Elton John, so they're they're really fun to play. Um, so that's kind of my like two differing, just fun, classic stuff. Um, you know that everyone knows, and then some really challenging technical stuff where my brain needs to be super focused, and it's very mathematical to play it. Do you ever play fun music when you are sad? I do play a lot of sad songs. And I sometimes I feel bad about that because people have to listen to it. Like, why does she play so many sad songs? But I love the emotion. Like, you can channel your own emotions into an emotional piece, um, and it kind of takes it away if if you have something that you need to to kind of work through. But I do really enjoy playing happy tunes. So, like, I have a Taylor Swift song I always play, um, "Piano Man" by Billy Joel because I just think it's a really upbeat one quite a lot of stuff by the Beatles because they were generally quite, you know, jolly and upbeat um, and kind of some more modern stuff. But I do love something that kind of pushes me to give a bit of emotion because I think it's more rewarding in the end. Have you ever had tears while playing piano? No, actually. But my husband has said a couple of times that I have brought him to tears um, not because it's so bad, but because it's <laughs> quite emotional. Um, and yeah. I did the same as well for my father-in-law. He was listening to me play and he said, that just made me feel so emotional. And I was like, oh, like I enjoy playing it, but like you're so focused on it, like emotion kind of becomes a secondary thing. But for others around you to hear it and respond, that's that's really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. And yes, it. I love piano. I tried to play piano. My wife played, let's say, piano. And mm -hmm. I told her, like, can you teach me? So we had we had a piano, like, for yeah. eight years in our right. apartment. But only thing that I learned how to play is uh, this, I don't know, first 10, 15 seconds of the new moon. It was a song from, um, from this movie. 
about vampires and etc. Oh, the know. like the Twilight series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and oh, that's a really nice song. New oh, Moon by Alexander Desplat, and I nice. started just. 10-15 seconds because then it was hard you know I, I have no musical background and it was like <laughs> but I really love the way it sounds I really love the way when you touch mm -hmm. keyboards when you yeah. you know when you push different keys and it have different sounds so yeah. I can I can really relate so much to that and but we need to hear 15 seconds of you playing that you need to go find a piano and record yourself playing those 15 seconds. I want to hear it now. I have a challenge of finding a piano right now, but okay, I will keep I'm it sure in my mind. there's a public one somewhere. That seems to be quite common now. I will try, I will try, yeah. One more challenge. Okay, Lou, thank you very much for giving <laughs> it to me. Not that you don't have enough to do in your life, but you now need to find a public piano and record yourself. Deal. The moment I see it, I will definitely do it and send you okay. a record in. Nice. And thank you so much for this conversation because, you know, what I learned about you when before this conversation is that you are a great listener and you totally know what to say to make others feel happy, first of all, and secondly, to start their thoughts process. That's exactly how I felt because when we had previous conversation i felt that i was speaking so much and you always was this person who was like oh but what about this <laughs> and then like first of all it made me happy secondly it made me think so thank you very much for that and i'm finally happy to get to know more about you and you know the more i get in know i get in you to know to know you the more i understand that you are a really great person and you have very different interesting personalities and hobbies around you and yeah this whole conversation first of all it was really very meaningful for me and secondly i loved so much when you mentioned some moments and yeah i just loved it so thank you very much for having this open and honest conversation thank you and thank you for allowing me to be on the other side of answering while you listen um that's been quite a new and novel experience for me because of how i tend to you know ask others about their lives so it's it's quite different to be on the other side of that but it's been a lot of fun and i've really enjoyed reminiscing about my life and talking some of the madness that's in my head yeah, it's it's one of the greatest part talk about the madness in your head because you know that that's that's what makes us human. And yeah, thank you very much and see you in the community world.